0: Welcome to Esoteric America, a podcast where we tour the strange, mystical, and esoteric pathways hidden beneath the surface of America. Join Mark, Tara, Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode as we dive into our country's diverse regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, parks, etc., leaving no stone unturned as we unravel the cult knots that tie history, culture, religion, all in with fringe elements that you may not have realized were at play in your own backyard. Today's show will be exploring Nashville, Tennessee with William Henry, a Nashville-based author, investigative mythologist, art historian, and TV presenter who's been seen numerous times on the very popular show, Ancient Aliens. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with our guide through Nashville, Tennessee, William Henry.
1: It's about humans transforming into something greater, moving on, connecting with a a higher realm, another world. And so it it just seems to me that that's something that's really important. It's often overlooked that, you know, people, they they walk through their cities, they don't even know what's there. Mm -hmm. And like Nashville has a a history actually going back to 9000 BC. But in in more recent times, the the history goes back a thousand years where you had the Woodlands people, the Native Americans that were here that were where ancient Nashville was literally an ascension center. We know this because Mm. of the the pottery and the artwork that they'd left behind, that people would, would come to Nashville from all over Turtle Island, North America, to learn how to at their in their moment of transition to head for the three belt stars of orion's belt hang a left and go to the center of the milky way galaxy they had <laughs> the whole geography of the afterlife all mapped out and it's it's on their artwork and ancient nashville was not only an ascension center it was a necropolis it was a city of the dead there's over three hundred thousand bodies that are buried underneath nashville that were brought here from all over north america because it was considered this vortex or this portal into the afterlife and your average nashvillian when they're hanging down at the honky tonks downtown they have no idea the average nashvillian has no clue about what Nashville's history was in the layer cake that, that is beneath us. We think places like Egypt or England or other places like that have ancient histories, but, but many places in America do as well, and that's, it's exciting to, to open people's eyes to that reality. you know there's the, the the one mind concept is it's superimposed over all of this there's you know there's just one temple really and any of these places are nodal points in, in that temple they're the the, the the bones of it or the cells of it and so maybe some places have a place that's even wilder, or grander, or crazier than Stargate Park or Bicentennial Wall State Capitol Park in Nashville, or maybe they're not as, as crazy as that. Maybe it's just a statue somewhere in your town, but it, it doesn't matter because it, it has the potential of linking you to that greater mystery. So find something that's, that's in your hometown and, and love it and let it kind of feed you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here we are back again with Esoteric America. I'm your host, Mystic Mark. Joining me are my three other lovely co-hosts, Tara, next to me.
2: Hey.
0: We've got Chad Stemke, author, researcher. Chad, how are you?
2: Doing great, Mark. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our show tonight, man.
0: Of course. And of course, our brother out on the West Coast, homie Romy from the Rising from the Ashes podcast. Roman, how are you today? i'm doing tremendous and uh, thou shalt be a journey this evening and ride into the the ashes let's do it yep yep and today we are setting our sights on nashville tennessee and it's a true honor and a pleasure to have mr william henry here with us so before we get into nashville sir if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how this journey started for you
1: well i i grew up in in the detroit area detroit michigan nice came in nashville where i lived now for 40 years in 1982 i was going to my father was in the in the record business and uh i was going to get into the, the music business i thought i really enjoyed researching songs and who wrote songs and all that i play guitar and love music and so i thought well i'll be an entertainment lawyer and it so happens that here in nashville there's a small then southern baptist college that offered an entertainment music business program that would get you ready to go work on music row but the catch was because it was a southern baptist school you had to take bible study classes and Mm. i knew nothing i knew nothing about the bible i like to say that our family the four apostles were waylon willie chris and johnny and (laughs) So here I am, kind of a fish out of water, coming from Detroit to Nashville, big adjustment, and then getting into this Southern Baptist College. And I'm in a sophomore sociology class, and the professor assigns us to a review a book whose implications would impact Christianity, write a three page review of the book. That was the assignment. Well, back then, in 1982, there was an international bestseller called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Uh, Your listeners might know it as the book that inspired Dan Brown to to write The Da Vinci Code. He sold 8,500 million copies of of a book based on uh, Holy Blood, Holy Grail on this premise that the crucifixion of Jesus was a hoax. Mary Magdalene and he were married. They had children. After the crucifixion, they hightailed it to southern France, stashed all their secrets in a remote hilltop village, and lived happily ever after. And it turns out the Catholic Church caught wind of this, and they murdered as many as one million men, women, and children, Cathars, as they were known. They called themselves the good Christians who were living in southern France to keep this original teaching and story about Jesus and Mary Magdalene from gaining currency. Well, knowing nothing about the Bible, I, I was hooked. I, I wrote a 44-page review and it was flunked. <laughs> And then invited to to leave this Southern Baptist College. If I believed this crap that was in this book, they said, you know, maybe you should go get your education somewhere else. And so, I did, and I went off on a uh, just a path of of self study from beginning in the 80s and into the early 90s. Started publishing books in the mid 90s. Started my first major lecture was with Zachariah Sitchin, who's a well-known author, writes about ancient Sumerians on Anunnaki. And I, all along, because of the Holy Blood, Holy Grail experience, I was kind of locked on to what they were describing as the these this parallel version of Christianity. And the question I always wanted to answer was, what was the original version of Christianity? Not not churchianity. What what was it that <laughs> the disciples were being taught by Jesus and, and what happened to that? And it turns out that the original version of Christianity had everything to do with human transformation into celestial beings, connection with angels or extraterrestrials, moving or migrating into higher dimensions. And I just really caught a buzz on all of that. And back in the 90s, I think probably because of uh, maybe Holy Blood, Holy Grail or Indiana Jones, in the last Crusade mm-hmm. came out in like 1982, 1984, something like that. Suddenly, there was a real resurgence in Holy Grail studies, and Mary Magdalene books started to proliferate. And this is what ultimately led me on my own sort of Grail quest, that led me to ultimately the uncover the secrets of Nashville.
3: Wow! Brilliant! What a, what a sweet, what a sweet journey there too. To have your your music lawyer, you know, to to go to law school for music, and in, in my opinion, you know, one of the greatest blues music history in in all of all of the country, and then find yourself in such such a predicament as that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was really wild, and I'm thrilled that it happened because I mean I've met other authors that also wrote about the the premise in Holy Blood Holy Grail. And many of them were coming from this perspective, like they were they were really pissed off, to be honest with you, because the the book was totally insulting to Christianity, and they mm-hmm. they it would set out to prove that Holy Blood, Holy Grail was false or not true. And many of them ended up <laughs> discovering that that it was true. Not that the crucifixion was a hoax and all that. I think they got carried away and all that. But the the key thing was is that they're there is very definitely a a mystery school religion of Christianity that most people know nothing about. It has roots in Samaria, it has roots in Egypt, Iran, Iraq, but ultimately it's cosmic, It's, it's not earthly. And that's really something quite profound in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, and when you look at the Egyptian revival movement, the Greek revival movement, and how those influences shaped the early Part of America, at least in the the Midwest, it makes a lot of sense that you would be drawn to study Nashville. You know, I've never personally been to Nashville, but I hope we can visit there virtually today. Chad, yeah, I know you you know Mr. Henry's work very well. Do you have any questions so far that you'd like to? I don't have a question to start off with. I'd like to tell a brief personal
2: story if William doesn't mind, because it pertains to our pertains to our show. And we're interested in this show and getting people to look around their own neighborhoods, look around themselves. And it had to be, it's over a decade ago now. William actually came and stayed the night at my house one night and he was doing a lecture and called Why, Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> by invitation. <laughs> <laughs> now he just showed up, but uh, anyway, for bre- we had here. breakfast, here <laughs> That's it, that's what we're talking about, William. So at breakfast that morning, before we went to his lecture, and he was actually kind enough to let me do a little speaking engagement before his lecture, but we were sitting at breakfast talking, and the kind of the essence of the conversation was how we could get other people to be interested in these cities. Yeah. And in, and in the background, on TV, I don't know what it was, but something somebody said, what's in your backyard? Yeah. And and William's eyes beamed. He looked over at me. He said, What's in your backyard? Right. And if I I remember correctly, I probably looked out the window. It said some some trees. I think my dogs are out there, you know, my car. (laughs) But he said, No, what's in your backyard? And it was at that moment that it hit home. That is. That's it. What's in your backyard has been a tagline William has been using and other people have been using for years now. What's in your backyard, what's in your neck of the woods that sticks and makes people really contemplate that. Mm -hmm. So I've never forgotten that moment, like to thank William for it. And I'm super excited for William to have the opportunity to share with us today what's in his backyard in Nashville.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was super cool, Chad. Because kind of like I stumbled into the, the mysteries of Nashville. I didn't set out to investigate Nashville; it just sort of happened. And then once I started doing this was twenty years ago. Once I started offering tours of of Nashville, we have two key temple sites that I, I lead people around, and people would inevitably be going well why don't you come to philly mark gray a good friend of chad and mine's came down and it's like well philly's got all this going on well let's go to philly let's, let's go to new york and then we went to dc and then chad brings st louis online and another person was looking in dallas and san francisco and colorado springs los angeles every mm-hmm. major city has examples of esoterica and it's not just major cities. There are smaller communities where there's artwork, there's architecture that features esoteric knowledge. And part of the quest was to, to get people to kind of open their eyes and realize, hey, it's everywhere. And the message is always the same. It's, it's not always, but often about transcendence. It's about humans transforming into something greater, moving on, connecting with a, a, a higher realm, a, another world. And so it, it just seemed to me that that's something that's really important. It's often overlooked that you know, people, they, they walk through their cities, they don't even know what's there.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And like Nashville has a, a history actually going back to 9,000 BC, but in, in, in more recent times, the, the history goes back a thousand years. Where you had the Woodlands people, the Native Americans that were here, that were that were ancient. Nashville was literally an ascension center. We know this because mm-hmm. of the, the the pottery, and the artwork that they left behind. That people would would come to Nashville from all over Turtle Island, North America, to learn how to. In their moment of transition to head for the three belt stars of Orion's belt, hang a left, and go to the center of the Milky Way galaxy. They had (laughs) the whole geography of the afterlife all mapped out, and it's it's on their artwork. And ancient Nashville was not only an ascension center, it was a necropolis. It was a city of the dead. There's over 300,000 bodies that are buried underneath Nashville that were brought here from all over North America because it was considered this vortex or this portal into the afterlife. And your average Nashvillian, when they're hanging down at the honky tonks downtown, they have no idea. The average Nashvilleian has no clue about yeah. what Nashville's history was in the layer cake that, that is beneath us. We think places like Egypt or England or other places like that have ancient histories, but but many places in America do as well. And that's it's exciting to... To open people's eyes to that. You know, on
3: our show, we've gone through this paradigm of trying to superimpose Egypt into America, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or on top of, right? Because there's a super imposition in, in there, especially a lot of the the wordplay. And when you look at the kind of the Masonic structure of America or the foundation of it, you, you know, like you said, in all these places, including small towns as well, and especially sometimes in small towns, because, yeah. you know, that's even higher, higher initiation levels, you know, that's, I mean, the stuff that's in the cities is almost exoteric on the sense of like what might be hidden in a small national forest somewhere as some sort of really initiatory kind of a sequence but i'm curious about through your research if you found any connection between the name well i I want i want to say two things really quick memphis tennessee Uh, is close to nashville tennessee we know memphis Uh, You know, ancient city of the dead in Egypt. So there's a lot ringing true with syncretism there. But I wanted to ask you also, have you found any correlation between the name Asheville and Nashville?
1: Between Asheville, North Carolina and Nashville?
3: Yeah, I'm wondering, is it like, is there something similar there some sort of syncretism or have you found is that is that it's just a random thought that i yeah, had I, that maybe I was, might find some crazy correlation
1: yeah no i haven't haven't looked into that so now i can't connect that dot for you right now
3: sweet you know sometimes the pieces fit you know you never know no you don't <laughs> <laughs> we
0: gotta we gotta get a swig and a miss sound effect for that those moments homie Romy. so yeah we got it we got it we got, <laughs> An idea of where we're heading with this conversation. I'm wondering, do you have any visual slides to share with us, or are we going to be taking? Because either way is fine with us. It's just yeah. customary yeah. so far.
1: I just thought we'd have a conversation.
0: So, no, that's uh, fine. That's fine. I, I'm just I, making I, I, sure.
1: I you like, but I thought a conversation would be
0: cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you mentioned the ash, that the average Nashville, you know person living there i don't know what what do you guys refer to yourselves as nashville lights is that we're, we're, we're cats we're nashville cats nashville cats okay so <laughs> the average nashville cat doesn't typically notice all of the symbolism but is it in your face it's it's all around the downtown where would you start if someone was doing this sort of mes- metaphysical tourism and they wanted to go and find okay. some of these
1: let me say this: a, a lot, the most clued-in people in Nashville are definitely the musicians. There's really something going on with. I mean, we have 39,000 professional songwriters here in Nashville, and it's called it's called Guitar Town, Twang Town, Tone Town, and a lot of these musicians oh. are are really plugged in at, at a really high initiatory level. I mean, it makes sense. You know, they they get into music, they start wondering, who's Pythagoras and they start looking at some <laughs> of these ancient ideas and where do these rhythms come from? Oh, they came from Africa and this sort of thing. So there's a, a pretty, pretty powerful group of musicians in town that are, that really are plugged in. But primarily Nashville has two temple sites that are the most exoteric. We have a scale replica of Athena's Temple of Wisdom, her Temple of Ascension from ancient Greece that was built in the 1920s. That is a profound place. Thousands of visitors are are there every weekend. And inside this temple is the tallest indoor statue in the Western world, a 42-foot-tall statue of Pallas Athena, the goddess covered in gold. Wow. That's a really powerful place, and the reason why it's there is because Nashville, for over 100 years, has been called the Athens of the South, supposedly because of the number of universities that are here. Just for trivia's sake, the Athens of the North is Edinburgh, Scotland, which is a highly esoteric city, and there must Hmm. be a connection between Nashville and Edinburgh, although I, I, I can't say that I've found it. But the the, the fact that we have a Parthenon here is is really interesting, but it it goes even deeper than that. In the 1920s, there was an effort by individuals in in Nashville to superimpose elements of ancient Athens over modern Nashville. They not only created a scale replica of Athena's Parthenon, but they also created a temple of Mars, which was another key temple in ancient Athens. So we have not just one copy of an ancient Athenian temple, we have two. And and that's really significant because what that means is that Nashville is what they call a mercurial city. These are, I'm sure you know, cities that are used, the art and architecture of the city is used to transmit esoteric Mm -hmm. information. You think of London, Rome, Paris, DC, other other big cities like that. you don't normally think of places like Nashville, but Nashville is clearly one of those cities.
3: Wow. I'm going to, well, I should be there by, by December or January, visiting a friend who's going to one of these many universities. And I'm slowly working my way through this book by Francis Yates, who is like a great hermetic revivalist in the sixties and seventies. But she has this book called the art of memory, which kind of describes a lot of that ancient architecture that was used on a very high sacred geometrical level not dramatria geometrical geometrical level sacred geometrical Uh level that literally encapsulates not only collective consciousness but the human consciousness as well and stores memory so it's a library built within the sacred architecture and yeah you know it's 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 such an interesting conundrum that we have found ourselves in in current society, you know, where we have these, these towns that millions of people are living in and maybe, you know, a small percentage of them are able to actually appreciate and understand the huge level of conscious ascension that could happen if you tap into these and really start working your practice in that way. That being said, I am mind blown by this already because a lot of things are just making sense because I'm thinking about what I've heard about Memphis mainly. haven't even thought about Nashville, but it makes sense because you're talking about musicians. This is the sound. This is resonance. This is ancient. One of the sacred sciences is music. And so, you know, there has to be the home of music within the home of the high initiates, the Freemasons and Rosicruits that basically founded the major cities in this country. And I'm curious as to who are some of the major figures that really started Nashville or, or you know, some of the major architects or some of the main political figures in the early days of Nashville?
1: I don't study them. I'm not interested really in the in following that part of it. I, I just look at the, the, the symbolism that's there, what's there and interpret it myself. I find that, yeah, that following the money is, is kind of like one path. And yeah. I, I find that often what happens when people follow the money, they're not following the symbolism. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I just kind of made a conscious decision: I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm not gonna follow the money. I'm, I'm gonna follow the symbolism and see where that leads me.
3: Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, someone else can follow the money. You know, follow the bloodlines all the way down to you know, whatever. Yeah,
1: my thing. I'm aware of the bloodlines, but I'm like, who cares? <laughs> you know, I don't care what Rockefeller's doing, what to wh- whoever, or did what, whenever it just does not, it, 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 it doesn't mean that I, it, it's not beneficial for other people to do it, but it was just never was my thing. So I the one thing that. we've
2: been, one thing we noticed, William, looking into a lot of these cities is that a lot of the symbolism we're finding is taking place near ancient native American burial grounds or sacred sure. sites. Yeah, uh, I was wondering, wondering if you could discuss any of the symbolism in your area around the Native American burial grounds.
1: Yeah, so in downtown now, I'm just going to see if I can pull up a, an image for you, right quick, that will show you perhaps as well as tell you. Mm, can I can I share my screen?
0: Now you can. Yes.
1: Okay. Great. Thank you. Let me, where did that go? Okay. Yeah. Here is trying to open this up here. Apologize for the delay. I'm trying to open a an aerial shot of a site at in, in downtown Nashville at the base of our, there we go. Okay. This site is called the Bicentennial mall state Capitol park and I, i'm presuming you can see it
0: i believe you have to unshare your screen and then share the in, in te, instead of the window you have to share your entire screen because right now we're seeing the window that your folder with the with the images okay, in i'm
1: going to st- stop the share
0: yep and then when you continue sharing this time either select the window with the image in it or just select the whole screen that way whatever you select oh, will be pardon on me that's okay. okay that's okay okay how's that now Ooh, we can see oh, it there we go now there we is. can see it thank okay. you
1: so this is the, what you're wow. looking at in the top three quarters of the image there is downtown nashville and the building in the center of there is that looks like a Freemasonic lodge that is our state capitol built in 1845 by William Strickland. He was a Philadelphia architect, first first federal architect, student of Thomas Jefferson, came here in 1845 to build the the Capitol that sits on an artificially tiered mound. The whole site of downtown Nashville is considered sacred because as an inscription nearby says, vast numbers of bodies had been interred. This is all the site of a, a, a Native American burial ground. And then you see this 2,200-foot-long magician's rod that is laid out and growing at the base of the state capitol that is topped by three stars in a circle surrounded by 50, 25-foot-tall stone pillars. They call that the Court of Three Stars. This is the the, the key site that I I take people to on my tours. It was constructed in, in 1996 to commemorate Tennessee's bicentennial the Parthenon was constructed to commemorate Tennessee's centennial and this site for the bicentennial. And what I noticed in, in my research is that it it bears a striking symbol, similarity or resemblance to a, a diagram from a second century Chinese manuscript of what the Buddhists called Mount Meru or the cosmic axis, the ladder or stairway to heaven. And when I made the connection between these two sites, the the Meru diagram and this site, it was just this powerful moment of of synchronicity. And the the key thing about this site is that, again, it's built over this this burial ground that goes back at least a thousand years. And one wonders why all of a sudden we have this extraordinary complex that, that emerges here that uses elements of Egyptian temple building technology where each of the, the seven chakras of the body are perfectly marked with appropriate symbolism. The keyhole shape is significant in that you see burial grounds around the world where they, 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 the keyhole shape is featured, almost saying, begging you to understand that this is actually some kind of a portal that perhaps even could have been ultimately constructed to help free the souls that could still be uh, attached to 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 Nashville in those graves.
3: I just I have to or can I touch on this real quick, Mark?
0: Well, I wanted to briefly ask, you know, what the purpose of this is, because in my research in my backyard, that being New Haven, Connecticut, I found that much like what you just told us the new haven green is an old burying ground and even when we had a hurricane recently a tree fell over and and some skeletal remains were pulled up by the roots of the tree so yeah they have that going on in new haven as well so have you examined you know why what the methodology behind that is any reasoning for for having souls entrapped underneath this you know earth memorial
1: I, I'm not, I can't say for sure that they are. I'm just hypothesizing that, it, that it's possible because you've, it's, it's, it's very possible that many of them actually ascended, but then perhaps others are, are still earthbound and they need perhaps some kind of a mechanism to draw them forward. What drove this hypothesis was comparing. The design of the Bicentennial Capital Mall, which I call Stargate Park, by the way, I started calling it that like 20 years ago, and the name just sort of stuck. Is that it bears a striking resemblance resemblance to Solomon's ring. Solomon had a King Solomon had a ring, or purported to have a ring, with which he could free souls. And when you compare a line drawing of the sigil on Solomon's ring to this magician's rod looking like structure in Nashville, they're almost identical. And, and that's what sparked my imagine, imagination to think, well, perhaps there's some kind of a an an otherworldly mind or a divine mind even that's operating or operated through the architect of this site, whose name is Kim Hinton, by the way, and prompted him to to create this extraordinary structure.
3: Wow. Wow. Yeah, the, the the key the key symbolism with the capital being right there, you know, right right at the tip of it or at the at the base of it, however you want to look at it, is is fascinating. I love the keyhole, you know, because the one of the things in the masonry is keystone, right? The keystone plays a very important part in the in the symbolism of that. What are those two mirrored identical buildings
1: towards? The- so those are those are state office buildings, and it's very interesting because in Egyptian symbolism, John Anthony West pointed this out that like, for mm. example, the, the temple of Horus at Edfu looks sort of like that, like the twin peaks. And, and as he shows it, if you can see my finger, I'm, I'm basically making a sine wave,
3: right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that this is then effectively like the gateway into the temple. And it's as if energy is, is rushing down from the, the inflows, the central hill of Nashville, which they called Knob Hill or Royal Hill, at least in the time before they built the state capital on top of it. It was most definitely a, a, a sacred Native American site. And it's almost as if the energy rushes down this tiered mound into the, the site of, of the Bicentennial Capital Mall or Stargate Park. Mm. It, it incorporates, as I said, some very interesting Egyptian symbolism, especially when you get into the top part of it, the court of three stars, you can see the three stars there on the on the floor. That, that's actually an altar that's made of red, white and blue granite and it's surrounded by 50, as I said 50 25 foot tall stone pillars that have bells in it. so it's actually a, a musical instrument. it's called a carillon but if this is literally a wand that produces tones. And how I found it, actually, was by just researching the Holy Grail and actually the historical search for the Grail that began in 1933 that was launched by President Franklin Roosevelt in conjunction with his two-term Secretary of Agriculture, Henry Wallace, and a third person, a Russian mystic named Nicholas Rurik. Letters were exchanged between Wallace and Rurik that led me to believe that they were going to return the results of their grail search to Nashville. And I, I started thinking, Nashville? How where in Nashville do you find the Holy Grail? Well, I had spent the the early 90s researching these very enigmatic depictions, the earliest Christians, Christian depictions of Jesus, when he's performing the miracles, he had a rod or a wand in his hand. It's actually a branch that grew on the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. And after the church councils in 325 AD, they dispensed with that wand and just showed Jesus waving his hand when he was performing the miracles. Well, I started to think, what if it's possible that that wand was considered to be part of the original grail and that perhaps he used it as a, as a like a symphony conductor's baton to conduct the word or the life force energy or the vibrations of the universe and it came together in my mind that what if the grail could be a wand that conducted a tone or a vibration i mean that was just yeah out of my head through the 1990s and then in 1999 all, three years after this site was was constructed i just was driving around nashville and find found this 2200 foot long magician's rod and began to wonder is this the or wand uh, of the grail and is the tone that is actually the grail tone in Nashville
0: wow yeah and I've heard recently the grail even being interpreted as some sort of pan or plate and maybe it's been mistranslated and it was supposed to be a rod you know rod is a a measurement as well in, in England but Rick Osmond who I know Roman has interviewed I've interviewed him as well he's spoken about a welsh group that possibly brought some sacred artifacts maybe some that were comprised in the duatha de danin from the old world to the new world and they brought them down through the great lakes into the mississippi valley so hey who knows it could have been that this stuff ended up in tennessee and and the early masons or whoever knew these legends and and followed up on them
1: yeah it's really possible or it could be Completely subconscious, I have a friend, Dr. Karen Rawls, she teaches at Oxford University, and she did a study on the origins of country music and tied it into the Tuatidana and, and the, the Celtic other world, wow. and the way she did it, it, was very interesting that Tennessee was founded by the Scots-Irish, at least when you're talking to Europeans, I mean, in the layer cake here, where after the Native Americans, the Scots-Irish came over to East Tennessee. And they were leaving Scotland and Ireland and they, uh, and where they were, some of them were still devotees of William of Orange. And they brought their odes or, or tunes devoted to William of Orange with them to East Tennessee. And the locals started calling them the Billies, the devotees of William or Billy. They called them the Billies of the Hills. And they called their music Hillbilly music. And it's haunting. It's this Scottish kind of drone-type stuff that has this otherworldly connection. Well, what Karen Rawls finally found out is that the the origin of these odes, this, this hillbilly music, this haunting bluegrass music, came from fiddle players who were trying to mimic the sound of the music that they heard coming from the Celtic otherworld, in other words, from the realm of the dot and she says that that is the true origins of of country music. it's it's otherworldly music. And perhaps you know <sighs> these people are bringing this with them, as you say, you know, into the Great Lakes, bringing it down to the Mississippi valley and implanting it in, in Tennessee and it, it just takes root. It, it's it's just one of those really interesting things. And one something I love to do, and I don't do it enough is like drive into the hills of Tennessee or, even Eastern North Carolina, Western North Carolina, rather, Eastern Tennessee, and and just listen to bluegrass music. It's got this vibe that truly is otherworldly.
3: Insane, insane. Well, well, one thing I want to mention right off the bat from that story is your name is William, and something I've been digging into (laughs) is these strange cosmic code name archetypes that people seem to fill these roles, Yep, these roles in our lives that just happen However, and you studied Nashville, thus finding out that the history, the origins of this place, I mean, Nashville is home of country as well.
0: Well, and you not know, to and- mention the, the features in this structure you're showing us, and I'd like to share my screen if you'll allow me to. Yeah. This You're you're saying that these features are musical instruments themselves? I mean, it's built yeah. into the, the, <laughs> the structure itself,
3: Roman, right? Yeah, man. Yeah. And I, I just... Okay. And the other thing that I I really need to touch on to get your opinion on, because when I was watching your presentation on the lost technology of the angels, I believe it was, is it, am I butchering the name of that presentation? It could be, I I don't know. You've probably done so many of them, but anywho, you, you were talking about, you know, this, the lost technology of these angels and, you know, I've been doing this this research that I call antiquated transhumanism. And I want to tie this into what I potentially, like, there's always this trinity. There's this holy trinity, right? And I see that with the stars there in the keyhole. Then you started talking about this staff or scepter that could be potentially part of the holy grail. Well, I've been working on the side research that I think the holy grail is the crown, the scepter, and the globus cruciger as the holy trinity of vibrational antiquatech pieces of technology that that are the ancients were replicating God-like frequencies or vibrations. And I'm curious on your take on, you know, if there's the three stars, do you think the staff is one of those pieces and the other two, you know, or what is the symbolism of the three
1: to you in that moment? Well, here in Nashville, when you're talking about the three stars, what, is, what you're looking at in that image is the flag of the state of Tennessee, which is three stars in a circle. And the stars are supposed to represent East, Middle, and West Tennessee, the three divisions of the state. However, <laughs> when you look at the flag of the state of Tennessee or you look at an image of the flag of the state of Tennessee, in the in the negative space between the three white stars, there's another symbol that's embedded within our flag. And that other symbol is the triceps, what the Nordics called the triceps. It's the a Nordic symbol for divine power and protection. It's called the triskill. It shows up as far back as New Grange, the, the triple spiral. The Egyptians used it. It's, they had three fish with their sharing a single eye which is the symbol for gold and illumination three fish three stars in a circle was the earliest symbol for christ so in this context what the three stars are representing is is that trinity concept but also equally importantly it's it's revealing that there's a, another symbol that that's, that's hidden within there and so effectively what we have in our flag is a Nordic symbol for divine power and protection, the Egyptian symbol for light and the earliest symbol for Christ.
2: Do you think it could be also synchronistic, William, that the natives from your area and believed in the path of souls and the Orion correlation on another level? Can we look at it as that also?
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's something I have a, a friend, Dr. Arthur Cushman. he studied, excuse me, he was a neurosurgeon at Vanderbilt University here in Nashville for 35 years and collected the, the largest private collection of woodlands or Mississippian era artifacts that revealed that the, the natives of Nashville practiced the path of souls, which is this ascension teaching that is virtually identical to what you find in the Egyptian book of the dead and, and other afterlife navigational teachings around the world. So it's very clear that that's exactly what was happening here in Nashville thousand years ago.
3: Are you friends with Dr. Gregory Little at all? You got a lot of doctor friends, so I thought I might ask because he wrote the book Path of Souls, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Greg Little a couple of times. I'd love to get him up to Nashville. He and Andrew Collins were passing through one time and I just missed him. I was really hoping to have an opportunity to take a walk at Stargate Park with them and show them what's in my backyard. I mean, they they were looking at Alabama and Mississippi and other areas around Tennessee, but it's like, they they missed Nashville in their exploration, they wrote a book about the <laughs> path of souls. And I wish they I, I they kind of I guess left that open for me to to make that connection with Nashville and the path of souls, because it's very clearly there through what Dr. Cushman has been showing in his artifacts.
0: Mm, yeah, and and. More recently, he's come out with The Origins of the Gods. But one book that I find really fascinating by Dr. Greg Little, now that we're on the subject, is his Encyclopedia of Mounds. And I'm wondering, you know, what is the mound situation? We briefly touched on it already in this conversation. But are there any significant mound sites that are noticing in conjunction with these symbols in Nashville? Are they playing off of it? Because you, you mentioned the energy flow I'm wondering if the yeah. mounds play into that. I I
1: don't know. The the ceremonial center for the woodland's people was nearby, the narrows to the Harpeth, the Harpeth mounds. They're probably 10 miles away and by the way this Native American burial ground in Nashville extends out for about 10 miles from downtown, it radiates wow. out from from downtown so it, it it's quite large. So that 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 is a site that Dr. Cushman is very well versed in and perhaps maybe talk with him about it sometime
0: yeah we'd like to tara do you you have a question
4: (laughs) yeah i guess so
0: she guesses so
4: yeah inspired by (laughs) you is is there feminine aspects to the the wand symbolism other than it being a masculine
0: She's wondering if there's like masculine components and feminine components because the the wand yeah, is clearly yeah, pretty, pretty masculine, right?
1: There is. It, it's a very interesting balance of the, of the male or unity of the male and female that we have here. First of all, when you look at the green rod or wand going into the circular altar at the top, that's, you know, can't get any more definitive (laughs) example of the unity of male and female there. And you've also got, on the left side of the complex, the right side as you're looking at the screen, there are these stone monoliths that mark off time. They begin at the top of the complex in the year 1996, and they mark off time going in 10-year increments, going all the way back 1 billion years. Uh And right alongside them is a book written in granite that tells the history of the state of Tennessee beginning one billion years ago, going up to 1996. Uh, The left side, as you're looking at the screen, on the left side of the complex are examples of the flora and fauna from the three divisions of the state. So I I view that as the the book is obviously the the left brain masculine, the, the nice wavy opposite side with the flora is the feminine side, so we, we we have that real nice balance that's indicated here as well.
3: Wow, that is that's fascinating. That's yeah. The 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 the, the, the book seems to be the order because nature seems to always be chaos, which is that feminine energy. That's cool. What we got going on here, bud? I
0: was just bringing up the photo again. He mentioned that on one side, on the left side, and the right side. But yeah, it is it is spectacular to see this aerial view.
1: This, by the way, is the sister complex to the National Mall in Washington, D.C. So that, that gives you some Masonic overlay if you wanted to, to, to go there.
3: Wow.
1: I have friends that are very, very knowledgeable, local Freemasons. They're kind of into all that. I wrote a book along with my friend, Dr. Mark Gray. It's the first to decode the Ascension symbolism in the dome of the U.S. Capitol. Mm. And then, you know, there, there again, when we were working on that book, Mark's wanting to get into all the Masonic overlay and the street layout of DC. I'm like, you know what? Everybody's always done that. And no one ever wrote yeah. a book about the Capitol. Let's just write a book about the Capitol focusing, especially on the dome and the rotunda. And so that's what we did.
3: Mm. Can, can can we get into that? Because that is a huge, that's going to be a repeating theme in anybody's state that if they, if anybody comes on the show that wants to, that lives in a place where the Capitol is, there's a capital in every single state, and they all have the same exact type of revivalist architecture.
0: And yeah, know, what are some of the archetypes people can look for when fasted, they when they examine their own capital city?
1: Well, when they like when you're talking about those domes in those capitals that 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 is a symbol of that's a conduit that's a portal it's a vortex it's a symbol of the unity of, of heaven and earth that it, it in particular though and this is something that, that Mark and I worked really hard on in the in our in our book freedom's Gate is to to get people to see that that the dome is actually your dome and that it's always symbolic about your dome being the the conduit to the heavenly realms. And you need to pop the top off the dome and take a look inside and see what what you've got going. And when I started going into the Capitol, this was back in the day before January 6th and all that nonsense, I was able to literally lay on my back in the rotunda of the United States Capitol because we go in before really opening hours. We got to know the people there and they, they, they let us come in and and do our exploration and research and everything. And so I would literally look lay on my back in the dome of the US Capitol and look up through the, the circle of 72 stars that is a literally a portal or gateway with George Washington through that portal or gateway on a rainbow and in his ascended form, surrounded by by cosmic beings. And I would encourage people in presentations to to use this as, as a visualization or a meditation that that this is this is this dome is of the capital is our dome the the center of the rotunda that that that's our pineal gland and this is always all true freedom is about awakening what's in your dome and and making making use of of that what what god has given us in terms of our our mystic anatomy to open up this 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 cosmic doorway this stairway to heaven this portal or gateway in, into the higher realms, and that that really was sort of the, the the basis for our book. And it's very funny because a couple of years after that, after we after I started talking about this in presentations, I would, I had done some lectures and video presentations before we wrote the book that had this this information, this data in it, and uh, people knew that Dan Brown was getting ready to to write a book about DC. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, he's going to talk about the layouts. He's going to do all that. I'm like, no, he's not going to do that because everybody else has already done that. And he's going to be talking about the Capitol. Well, sure enough, the opening chapter of his book, The Lost Symbol, is about the Capitol. And he has Robert Langdon, his character, lay on his back in the rotunda of the Capitol, looks up through the 72 (laughs) stars. it as the dome of our pineal gland and this is the opening of a stargate And oh. it's like wow dan how did you come up with that idea i mean that was incredible you know just wish you could have dropped my name in there somewhere <laughs> right <laughs> that's hilarious man a, uh, so I, just, I just say you know I was involved with one of the greatest literary synchronicities of all time the u.s Capitol went undecoded for 150 years and dan brown and i came upon exactly the same conclusion at exactly the same time but mm. it wasn't the same time because i already had done it a couple of years before and i'm not mm. trying to be you know egotistical or anything like that i'm just saying this is part of the the fun of doing this and and of course dan brown could do anything he wants with any non-fiction information he's writing fiction so and he did, but it's still, that was just kind of something that happened.
0: Well, and it, it reveals the higher order of these things. I mean, Dan Brown, I've heard many takes on him and, and how he seems to be more of a smokescreen to these subjects rather than yeah, a revealer.
1: Yeah, the, the U.S. Capitol really is not a Stargate. Okay, <laughs> that, that was his message. It's just fiction. Dan Brown made it up. No, it really is a Stargate. Right. And in fact, you know, when Mark and I were in the Capitol those, all those years ago, we, we were, we, they were just getting ready to open the Capitol Visitor Center. You know, before this, you could go in there, you could bring up lunch and have a, have a sandwich in the Rotunda if you wanted, and they'd leave you alone. Well, once the Capitol Visitor Center opened, we started to get this hunch, you know what, there's going to come a day, probably not too far off, where citizens will not be able to access the Capitol. No, that'll never happen. Well, here we are. Wow. You know, I'm going to back up just a
2: teeny bit, William, because where you're looking up at the dome of the Capitol, did you say that George Washington's sitting on a rainbow in a Stargate encircled by 72 stars? I just want to make sure everybody heard that correct.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. The, the fresco is called the apotheosis of George Washington. The word apotheosis means to raise from a man to a God-man. So this is Washington as an ascended being. And what I had done is said, well, wait a minute. Washington on a rainbow, that he looks just like the, the resurrected and ascended Christ on a rainbow. And I'll never forget mm-hmm. the, the moment Mark and I, Mark Gray and I, Went into the office of Dr. Barbara Wallinen, and She is the architect of the, of the Capitol, and she's the one that would give us the green light to, to you know, act like idiots walking around the Capitol trying to figure out what's going on. And I I'll never forget showing her my comparison of Washington on the rainbow beside Jesus on the rainbow, and her eyes just got big as saucer. She's like, "How come we've never seen this before?" And and then she said. Well, we know there's mysteries about this building, so we're going to let you go ahead and do your research because we want to know what they are. <laughs> so. Yo, w- I.
3: Oh, please go ahead. No,
1: sorry. That, uh, that's it. That's what I was going to say.
3: The, the, I, I, I can't seem to, to shake this feeling of the, like, the deep well, okay, because Chris Christianity and ancient Norse mythos seem to intertwine, right? Like as do the ancient Vedics as well, right? Like seemingly a, a lot of the stories they have cross correlations. And Odin's rainbow bridge—that's a huge story in Norse mythos. And okay. you know, you get you get this kind of vibe, and and something else too that I was thinking of is well, eight times nine is seventy-two, right? So seventy-two is a very sacred number, as is twenty-seven. And uh, you know, Odin had his eight-legged horse, right? You have the the eights on the trigrams of the the I Ching wheel and the clock with the mound in the middle of that as well. And I'm wondering what what is what's your interpretation on on the number seventy two, and and what does that mean to you?
1: What we saw was the seventy two names of God. Seventy two is a processional number. And it it seemed that the architect or perhaps Constantino Brumidi, the the painter, was trying to infer something about procession with the 72 stars, especially as it encircles a portal or gateway into the higher dimensional realm where where Washington presumably went after his ascension. And by the way, it was widely believed by the first Americans that George Washington ascended, that, that he became a divine being. It was, he was widely thought of while he was living as a divine being or divinely inspired being. And then in his death, he was apotheosized or transformed into essentially what we would call a saint or an angel.
3: It's such an ascension story. It's this is amazing. I'm so glad because there's there's so much mystery to to the rotundas and 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 all of that in the, the capitals. But I've been hogging the mic. Anybody else trying to jump in here? Let's go. Well, I'm
0: curious stuff, y'all. I'm curious about you. You mentioned Nashville and uh, Washington D.C. The two road to our parks are are corresponding to one another yeah yeah so now is there anything more to that coupling is there you know because they're both situated on either side of the appalachian mountains they're both situated on rivers one is on uh, close to the 36th degree and the other one is close to the 39th degree washington being the latter so i'm wondering you know if there's anything you looked into as far as ley lines or, or those sorts of arrangements
1: I've tried, but I haven't really found anything. The, the The other dot that I try to connect with this, being that it's a, a rod or a wand, is to Serpent Mound in, in Ohio. The, the Court of Three Stars, the, the circular area at the top where the three stars are in the granite there, they, they point kind of in the direction of the northeast. And if you go northeast from Nashville, you, you end up very close to where Serpent Mound is in Ohio. And given that that is thought of as a, as a woodland site, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a, that correspondence to make, but it's, it's really tentative.
0: Mm. And there's uh, also, William, go ahead. And in the, in the court of
2: three stars, we're talking about the granite court of three stars in the middle of those stars, yeah. there is a, a iron rod. Yep. And if you stand on that iron rod in the middle of that, Carolyn, you pick up this insane vibration. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the significance of that or, you know,
1: what you think that's all about. If you go back to that image that you had up a moment ago, that wide shot of, of them all.
0: Yeah. One moment.
1: Okay. Yeah. About the previous one, that one. Yeah. Okay. So this circular area is called the court of three stars, obviously because you've got the three stars there. And perhaps if you kind of soft gaze, as you look at the the central area where the three stars are in the, in the negative space, you can pull out the tricep symbol that's embedded in between the three, excuse me, between the three white stars, those three white stars, point directly as chad was saying in an iron rod that is drilled exactly in the center of this altar i started when i first came upon this place in 1999 it was new and it was a little bit wild and it was almost a little bit dark and i didn't quite know what to do with it i couldn't quite Pick up the rod. I knew this was possible. That there's there was there's mysteries here that I knew already that it related to the human body. That this is like a temple of man, and we want to try to figure out how to make it work as a living temple that helps to activate our body as a, a living temple. And so the first few years that I'm walking around there, I'm still kind of feeling the elephant, so to speak. And then I went to Egypt for the first time in 2002. And so that was 20 years ago. And when I got to Egypt, I'm with my guide and he's starting to tell me about the properties of red granite, that, and this is red granite that is ringing those three stars. Red granite, according to the ancient Egyptians, they called it a firestone. They called it a firestone because it's loaded with quartz crystal. And as we know, crystal holds frequency or vibration. So the idea is, is that when you would walk ac- enter into any Egyptian temple, you're first gonna walk across a, a slab, a giant slab of red granite. And the idea is, as it was expressed to me, is that it's sort of like you know, swiping your debit card at the grocery store. When you walk across that granite, your body's just whoop, getting some kind of a, a charge that, that's, that was placed in that granite long ago. And then when you get into the Holy of Holies of the temple, you'll find a a large, sometimes massive, red granite altar stone. And they call it the altar stone because it alters you. The the vibration, the frequency that's been implanted within that granite alters you. And so when I came back from Egypt loaded with that knowledge and took, took a look around at what I'm seeing here in the Court of Three Stars, First of all, I'm seeing the red granite and recognizing this is actually an altar. And second, and, and literally, it glistens in the sunlight when I'm when you're down there on a sunny day. That that quartz, this this quarter three stars, is literally glistening in the sun. You can see the quartz, and then the fifty columns that are ringing the quarter three stars, they're ringers for pillars. That you see at the Temple of Karnak in Egypt. A to B comparison, they are identical. They're they're they look like closed papyrus stalks. And I realized that this is this is pure Egyptian temple building technology. And I put all of that together with an, an initial discovery I've made very early on in 1999. And it was what Chad was talking about of this crazy experience that you have when you stand on the iron rod that is drilled exactly in the center of this altar. When you stand on it, you say uh, something out loud like your name, it echoes in your head. But anybody standing two, three feet away hears your voice as normal. And what's really strange about this is that when I first met the architect down here in about the year 2000, he told me that the only purpose of this place was to provide an unobstructed view of the state capitol and to commemorate Tennessee's bicentennial. And then he told me they spent a lot of time and a lot of money to get this acoustical effect to happen. Well, I, you know, I, I can pretty well tell when someone's peeing on my boots and telling me it's raining, and that's what he was doing at that moment. I'm thinking that you just told me this place is all about the view and now you spend all this money to get this acoustical effect to happen. What's this all about? It, it took me probably another, I don't know, seven, eight years to piece together the story that I tell now, uh, based on my research down here, having walked this place with thousands of people, artists, musicians, writers, painters, shamans, engineers, you know, housewives, you name it, everybody. And they all readily kind of have an intuitive sense of what's going on down here. And I I point out each of the seven chakras that are perfectly marked with appropriate symbolism here at the mall, until you get into the cord of three stars, which which is is the third eye. That iron rod symbolizes our pineal gland, which is a manufacturing plant of sacred oils and secretions that, that transmutes the body into light. And I realized that this whole complex, at, at one level of interpretation, or just call it my level of interpretation, is it's a it's a temple designed to help you to understand the chakras and the functioning of our mystic anatomy and the awakening of the pineal gland and its ability to produce these secretions that contain the secrets of transmuting our bodies into light, which is ultimately what the grail was about.
3: Now I have to ask the cheesy question of have you heard any stories or even witnessed any ceremonial situations happening here within this Merkabah-like transformative
1: station? Many times. Many times. Not so much in the early years, 1999 into the early, mid-2000s, not so much. But then word started getting out. I've done like very little to promote this. I've kind of flown under the radar with it. But word has gotten out. And now, today, 20 years later, they have Segway tours of the Bicentennial Mall and they roll on up into the Court of Three Stars. They get off the Segway and go woo, and then they leave. They have no idea what they're doing. That's kind of a ceremony. But other than that, you have very intentional groups that have seen women that have made, come here from South Africa to do ceremony. And it's like, wow. "Wow." And you know, they're just shocked. God, you're, you know, you're William Henry and we just flew over here because of you and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're here today. You know, that was a really cool moment. So it's a living temple and it it has a voice, it it has a destiny. And I was just fortunate to be there early to 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 identify it. I i like to kid with people you know, kind of half jokingly, that that I made this temple. That doesn't mean I'm I'm an architect or I did any digging or I erected any of the concrete. I didn't do any of that, but I I identified it. When I say made, I use made in the term, in the way that the police use it. If they pull your car over and they make your car, they, they say, oh, that's a 2017 Audi Q7 or whatever car you drive. <laughs> they, they just identified what your car is. They, they made it. Mm. Doesn't mean they manufactured it. Well, and that's on what the point, out at the mall. And that's what a lot of this work that Chad is doing and Mark and others are doing is we're making these temples were identifying them because sometimes even the architects themselves didn't know what they were doing
0: wow yeah and and that's why we're so grateful to have you here and and to have chad as a co-host on this show of course but when it comes to destiny you mentioned this having a destiny and you also mentioned earlier the musical element that came with the scottish culture that embedded itself in tennessee when this was built what was the musical culture like? Do you think that they knew that Nashville would have the, you know, world renowned musical impression than it does now when they built it?
1: Well, it was built in 1996 and Nashville was. Oh wow. So yeah, of course. So it's had that, that appellation or that, that moniker for, for a good while music has been in Nashville have gone together probably, you know, since early 1900s, certainly with, the advent of the Ryman Auditorium, Grand Ole Opry, radio, and all of that. So Elvis? Elvis. Well, he's in Memphis. Memphis. Uh, okay, sorry. I, but Nashville significantly is also called the buckle of the Bible Belt, and it's also a center for Bible publishing on the planet. So the word or the vibration is definitely something that's in the heartbeat of of, of Nashville. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I was thinking of a cat connection we were talking about just a minute ago, William. When we're speculating that the three stars—back to the three stars again—maybe pointing somewhat towards the Serpent Mound, and yeah. then we talked about the iron rod possibly having something to do with the head of the pineal gland. Well, back at the Serpent Mound, what a lot of people don't know is near the head of the Serpent Mound in the egg there used to be a large magnetic pillar. Which, what yep there's a legend has it there used to be a large pillar about 10 feet tall and it sat in the egg of the serpent and at some point it was thrown over the edge of the cliff and if you go down at the bottom of the cliffs you can find a 10 foot long pillar down there still but it just when we're talking about the pineal gland and the iron rod and the yeah. possible connection to the serpent mound that just rang a bell that there used to be, you know, kind of as a magnetic iron rod at the pineal of the serpent also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. I mean, there's, there's just this other layer that that's always operating. And part of our quest I feel is to to tap into that. And one way we do that is through synchronicity. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's Mm -hmm. what keeps this so exciting. As I said, I've, I've walked this, this site here thousand times with thousands of people and it's always new every time I go down there because it's I'm seeing it through trying to see it through the eyes of whoever I'm walking with, and that's that's what makes it exciting to me, and what really keeps me doing it because I know there's more here that I I haven't I'm not at a place yet where I haven't seen it or experienced it or or whatever, and I hope that I'll be able to spend another 20 years. Taking walks down here with people, and also with the Parthenon. It's just, you know, yeah. if you would have told me 22 years ago that I would still be doing these walks with people, I'd be like, okay. okay. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> <You> know, on. <laughs> 22 years on, I'm like, hey, this, you know, it's, I've had some just incredible experiences down there, and and love this place. It, it's like my home temple. And while I go out to Egypt or France or Italy or England or other temple sites around the world, I always coming back to this is the Stargate park and and looking at what I'm learning relative to what, what is going on down there.
0: I love the Holy
3: grail itself. You know, that seems like this whole quest for America in general, the new Atlantis, right. If you will, that there is the Holy grail here that these secret societies were, you know, they, they knew they've like, okay, this is the new world. And the new world holds the Ponce de Leon, the Fountain of Youth, the Holy Grail, well, and you shall find it.
0: And on that point, you know, what advice do you have, William, for our, you know, listeners out there who want to go out and way find this cool stuff? Obviously, they should be aware and, and keep in mind that synchronicities will happen when you go and seek this stuff out. But what other tips and tricks can you lend to us in the audience?
1: Well you also want to be doing the research you you want to you know find your passion whether you know it, it, it's for art architecture symbolism history whatever and, and then follow that and try to connect the dots into bigger dots that exist elsewhere because it's all ultimately you know there's the the, the one mind concept is that it, it's superimposed over all of this there's you know th- there's just one temple really and any of these places are nodal points in, in that temple. they're like the the, the the bones of it or the cells of it and so maybe some places have a place that's even wilder or grander or crazier than Stargate Park or Bicentennial Mall State Capitol Park in Nashville or maybe they're not as, as crazy as that. Maybe it's just a statue somewhere in your town, but it, it doesn't matter because it, it has the potential of linking you to that greater mystery. So find something that's that's in your hometown and, and love it and let it kind of feed you. Yeah, I couldn't agree
2: more, William. I think it's so important how you pointed out you've been looking at this park for over 20 years and it's still new to you. It's still fresh too. And I've been pointing that out lately to people too. I've been looking to Detroit for 10 years and I'm still finding stuff, you know, and in a way there's a, you know, a park has changed my life. And I think Nashville city peace and that park has in a way changed your life too. And to be able to say that a park or a area can change our lives and share that with other people, hopefully they can change their lives in some aspect. You know, that's a big part of our mission.
1: Yeah, it's about, you. again, tapping that vibe and then raising up with it. I mean, I have friends that, that grew up climbing the Great Pyramid. And they have no one <laughs> in the Great Pyramid. I mean, I, when I first met them, they're like, why are you coming over here to climb this big pile of rocks? And it's like, really? <laughs> that's what you think of it, right? And that's what's in their backyard, right? Right. And oh, over the years, as I get to know them, they're like, "Oh, okay." They start to to open up a little bit to it and and, and get more curious. It's it's really really strange,
0: mm. you know. No and. While we're there, can I ask you, because I recently had a conversation with an author who believes that the pyramids were an alchemical machine used to transmute certain things to gold and maybe other chemical processes. What are your thoughts on the pyramid? I mean, you visited there. It sounds like a bunch. I mean, have you any theories yourself?
1: Yeah, I just kind of go with what the ancient Egyptians said. It's a place of ascension. It's It's a transmutation device I can't argue from an engineering perspective with people like Chris Dunn I mean they have well thought out theories and and so forth but I'm always looking kind of for the spiritual answer as opposed to the maybe the engineering answer kind of I, I've been to Egypt 23 times and taken many hundreds of people on tours to Egypt and you, you get kind of two sort of categories of people the this I call it the stones and bones. Crowd. They want to look at this eighty-ton block of granite and go, how did they lift that, right? <laughs> and how did they polish that? How did they cut that and polish it and move it and so forth? And then you have the others that, like, I don't know, I don't care, but you know, I know that they had this three-thousand-year-old civilization based on the idea of rebirth, renewal, and regeneration, and that that's kind of what lights them up. They want to know some of the spiritual mysteries. Well, I, I try to blend the two of them. Because I'm mm. sure there's a consciousness aspect to how they were able to cut polish and move those stones. and the purpose behind it, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I feel quite certain was not about energy or power. It was about more about ascension. And th- that's just my perspective.
3: The dichotomy of the of the human psyche or the condition, if you will, to kind of like, you know, have these things that tug at your interests at that moment in time wherever you're out on your spiritual awakening and it's it is rather yeah. fascinating because you see the a lot of the you know the the stories on history channels like so how did these ancient egyptians move these rocks and you're like right. who gives this shit dude like let's look deep in the tunnels and where's the real doors you can't even get to it from the outside like what like can we go any deeper than how the fuck it was actually built Anyways, that's a whole. I mean, we're talking about pyramids of Giza now. Jeez, this is whole, we could go keep going, boys. But well, and you I have think another place in Nashville that you were going to bring up besides the the mall there,
1: the Parthenon. Yes, the Parthenon. Maybe you could can we dig food. in on
0: that a little bit? Yeah, I'll share my screen. We can. I'll show something. Sorry
3: to subject the, I mean, I obviously am very fascinated by the pyramids, but I, unfortunately, I personally have a limited time this evening and and blown away by Nashville. I mean, I, I, I'm i a musician, learned, l- learning musician, trying to be, and oh my goodness, there it is. Wow.
1: Yeah. It's massive. So this is the exterior, obviously, of the building. It's a scale replica of Athena's Parthenon, her, her Temple of Ascension. Tells a very important story. It's a not only a, a, a geometry book in stone, but when you look at the pediment across to the top, you can see a guy there sitting on a throne. That, that's Zeus. And he's the king of the gods. And this is basically a board meeting of the gods. And it's a really important story because basically what's happened here is that at this very moment, Zeus is really pissed off. He's pissed off because the guy behind him, his name is Hyphaistos, he's holding an ax in his hand. He, on his own, or in conjunction with Prometheus, had created an artificial being. Her name was Pandora. And the thing was is that Pandora didn't have a soul, but the, the goddess that's standing beside Zeus, who holds a spear and a shield in her hand, that's Athena, goddess of wisdom, goddess of war. And Athena says, well, I can fix that. And she blew a soul into Pandora and Pandora became a living being. Now, this is really important for us because I used to think Zeus was kind of the bad guy in this story. But now I realize, I I think exactly like Zeus does because I look at people like Samsung creating these fake beings they call neons. I look at Mark Zuckerberg and Fakebook and what they're doing in the metaverse, creating these cartoon avatars. And I, I realized we're doing exactly the same thing that Zeus was pissed off about with Hephaestus, And so this story is, is not just some ancient story anymore. The Greeks have already dealt with what we're presently dealing with, with AI and transhumanism and the rise of, of, of fake beings. And so that's one reason why it's important to, to, to explore particularly the Parthenon, but in general some of these ancient structures, because these people weren't stupid. They 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 dealt with a lot of the same things that you and I are are grappling with today and they found outcomes for them.
3: Is Pandora a Hermunculus a version of a hermunculus in a in a type of story? I don't know too much about the Pandora paradigm.
1: The, she is the, the, effectively the this is the, the Greek version of the creation of Adam and Eve Pandora is is Eve see if you can find a, an image of Athena in the Parthenon
3: Just what's at of top is that like a is there a pine cone symbolism at the very tip of that or uh, what's on the very top of the building there
1: it's it's actually it's a okay there you go it, it's a, a clamshell okay. so here's Athena inside the Parthenon. 42 feet tall, tallest indoor statue in the Western world. She's the the goddess of alchemy. She is teaching people how to transcend their humanity, put on their golden robe, lift the serpent of healing, lift the Kundalini and become essentially an ascended being. You can't really appreciate the the immensity of the statue. I'm, I'm convinced that her real name is Wow because that's what everybody <laughs> says when they turn the corner and steer for the first time.
0: <laughs> yeah. what, what is this they scene like, at the bottom? Tall, it's huge.
1: This is a pedestal that comm- commemorates the creation of Pandora. Right. Which is foundational to the Greek mythology.
0: We also have a, a snake and a wheel or a disc here, a shield even.
1: Her shield, yeah. The Athenians called themselves serpent boards, and that's what the, the serpent represents nobody knows why they call themselves the serpent born but one line that i i think is probably closest to any is that they they embrace the wisdom of the the serpent of eden as opposed to of what christianity did with it so mm-hmm. by being by accepting that wisdom they were on the, the path of gnosis and an awakening and enlightenment
0: yeah i uh- I believe it. Yeah. Mark Amaru Pinkham writes in his book, the "The, the return of the serpents of wisdom. He writes about, about the Orpheus cult, but I don't think he talks, he touches on the, or the Ophite cult. I'm sorry, the Ophite Gnostics. So I don't think Athenian makes its way into this, but that's where my mind drew a comparison with the serpents of wisdom. But yeah, that's fascinating. I know we don't have yeah. that much more time. Roman's got to water his a very, very large garden over there. But Mr. Henry, if you could tell listeners where they should follow up with you. Obviously, you've given us so many things to go on. I'm excited to see our Nashville audience respond to this episode, if we have anyone in Nashville. And and yeah, of course, you're an inspiration to us and, and our listening audience who's trying to research our own backyard. So please, can you tell us where we can follow up with your your books and and obviously the tours that you do down there in Nashville?
1: Yeah, sure. My my website is williamhenry.net. There you'll find lots of articles about ancient mystery, symbolism. For the past 10 years, I've been writing extensively about AI, transhumanism and the spiritual implications of of what is going on with the with the uh, with ai and also updates on events i've got a, a nashville event coming up in, in october called halo 3.0 like to invite people to come down for that or you know take a road trip if you're passing through nashville look me up and hopefully i'll be in town i'd love to take a walk with you and show you what's going on in my backyard
0: i love that yeah and this episode will surely be out before october we are planning on recording a couple more episodes before we release this series and yeah, it's been a, a true pleasure to to learn about your neck of the woods, Mr. Henry. Roman, Chad, Tara, any closing thoughts, questions? Well, I
2: just want to thank you personally, William, because you inspired me, and there would be no Stargate Detroit without Mr. William Henry here. And I hope his Thanks. his inspiration can flow through me, and we can all inspire others to do the same.
1: And yeah, once well, again, thank you. Started. You've done such a great job, Chad, with Detroit, St. Louis, all all of the things you've been looking into, the Great Lakes mysteries. It's phenomenal. And I think that's that's the best we can do as is people like us. We we inspire each other. We help to advance the story and and bring others into it because that that's really what it's all about and keeps it exciting that way too. So hopefully there's people listening that might have said, Oh, you know, I saw something once. I was driving down the road and I saw this and Go back and look at it and and find out about it and follow the trail. Sometimes it's going to lead to someplace like big aha moments. Sometimes maybe not, but it's just answering the call because these, this art, this architecture, these civic places, they speak to us. And if you're listening, they've got powerful, powerful messages.
3: Wow. William, this has been, this has been a blessing. There's so much uh, other work outside of Nashville that I would love to, to dive deep with you about, you know, whenever, if that that were ever a chance, one thought that did come up during this, I thought was a funny synchronicity was there's that really famous app that was around that people still use it. I don't, but it was called Pandora and it was a music app. And, you know, you have all this Pandora symbolism here in Nashville, and then you have this really popular app that's based on music. And it was the only thing people were listening to music out of. I thought that was kind of yeah. funny. But I guess one final question for you before we go is, are there any magnetic anomalies and sort of like maybe elemental type of cryptid situations that you've experienced here in Nashville? <laughs>
0: We gotta ask everyone. We gotta know where the cryptids are across the the country.
1: I haven't, I didn't experience this, but I think I, there could be an article about this. I'll just back in 1996, something like that. My sister Kim was then married to her husband, Donnie. And yeah, we're all into this. This is what what we were doing. And honey's cousin calls him, one night and said, "You're the weirdest person I know, and I need to talk with you." And I, said, <laughs> he says, "You've got to come up to my house." And he lives in Cross Plains, Tennessee. And he brings Donnie up, and he says, um, "I was, yeah, real country guy. I was, you know, sleep last night, no." Nah, nah, I heard what I thought was the sound of rain on our, our trailer. You know, this just typical, you know, Southern trailer park story. And he says he looks, he's wakened by the rain. He looks out the window and his family's asleep. And he sees what looks like a UFO firing lasers at this creature that looks like it's, he calls it the one-footed snorkel monster. <laughs> because it looked like an elephant <laughs> trunk with a single bird's foot and it was hopping around like it was wounded he thought it escaped from some extraterrestrial zoo he's got his gun in his hand and he's looking at this ufo and realizing he's fucked you know there's he's just got to ride this 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 thing out so he's up all night he watches this thing spin into an orb of light and then disappears.
3: Well, he goes to work today,
1: and his wife is in the kitchen doing dishes, and she looks across the street, and there it is, this green elephants-like trunk looking like thing spinning across the road. So obviously it was still alive. And he described it as like a snorkel with a bird's foot. And Donnie, he's no longer with us, took a photo and it looked like a like a chicken's foot or something. And I'm like, I can't believe what you're telling me because nobody knows this, but I mean some people do, but deep mythology says that the serpent of the Garden of Eden had a single bird's foot. And it's like, was this like <laughs> was the one footed snorkel monster like? The Serpent of Eden and this UFO is chasing it like it's escaped from it. And people swear I made it up. But he filed a police report with the Cross Plains Police Department. And I have the, the police report. And so any the article I've ever done about it is based on his account of what he told the police happened that night. He called the police and filed this report and you know, here comes this Tennessee trooper type, you know, typical, this is like a comedy, and writes down this report, the one-footed snorkel monster, and the UFO firing upon. So.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So glad you to asked, Roman. The, to, the,
3: to, to the Egypt, you know, the, the pantheon that the potential of the Garden of Eden originally being in America, or the superimposition of the both, or the mirroring of it, the fractal reality mirrored situation. Right. The Garden of Eden right. could be here and over there at the same time, but that is fucking wild.
0: Well, I, you know... <laughs> In, I'll in just West say Lane, Tennessee. I'll just say this: You're welcome here. You're you're amongst like minds. We've all received those calls. So, hey, you're the weirdest guy I know, and I don't know who to tell this to. So don't feel ashamed of that at all. And wow, it's it's a pleasure to to hear this. And 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 wow, yeah. Looking forward to hopefully having you back on someday when this show grows a little larger and, uh, yeah, truly an honor. Obviously you and Chad know each other. So we're sort of privileged here to be with Chad as a co-host and have a oh. in with brilliant minds like yourself. So truly a pleasure. And wherever you are out there, folks, enjoy the moment. Well, how did I, how did I end last episode? I had a good end tagline for last episode. Either way, I'll remember it in post and edit this out. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Esoteric America. What a fantastic guest, William Henry. We hope to have him back on because there is so much more to talk about when it comes to Nashville. And hey, if you live in Nashville or really anywhere in the United States, Canada, Mexico or South America, get in touch with us and let us know uh, where you're at and the research you've done. Put it together in a slideshow presentation and you can be our next guest on Esoteric America. Until next time, folks, enjoy touring the weird, wild and strange world that we find our in.
4: I wish come back to Nashville meant that I was on your mind. I wish you'd say it with that look you get when she walks by. I don't always feel like this, it's just sometimes I think that I wish you'd say come back to Nashville, but mean come back to me. there I remember you, I'll think of interrupting Mormons at their prayer. I'll think of falling snow and rising steam. Oh, I'll think of running fast, running scared. I wish come back to Nashville meant that I was on your mind I wish you'd say it with that look you get when she walks by I don't always feel like this, it's just sometimes I think That I wish you'd say come back to Nashville but mean come back to me that i was on your mind i wish you'd say you with that look you get when she walks by i don't always feel like this it's just sometimes i think that i wish you'd say come back to nashville but me come back